We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Friday program. In fact, it's our last program before Christmas, and we will not be live on Christmas Day. We will be doing a repeat broadcast. Hey, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, really anything that's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial. 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, I don't know if the streets are still wet or not, but if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Praying you have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas home with your families and a great, great time. We're going to have our three uh, Sunday services. It's Christmas Eve. Uh, and the way the calendar falls this year, we'll be doing our normal three services on Sunday. I think it's a great way uh, to kick into the Christmas holiday. I just pray you have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful weekend. Observing the birth of the Lord, don't forget that He is the purpose of everything that we do or say. Well, let me get to some questions. We have a bunch of them sent in today. So as we do this, um, well, we wait your phone calls. First one is uh, Anonymous from Pastor Ron. And Anonymous, I'm going to say to you at the beginning, I'm not going to read your entire question because I don't think it's appropriate for the audience. I'm going to talk a little bit about the beginning of it because it's such a wonderful, wonderful praise report. Um, But um, what what I would ask you to do, and I will be happy to discuss this with you and answer your questions, uh, if you would take our email address, questions at calvarysa.com. You don't have to disclose your identity, but leave a a return address so that we can 
um, simply reply, I'll, I'll spend all the time you want um, um, in, in answering the question for you. I think it's important, and I don't want to sidestep the question. I just had to balance the appropriateness of the question. So the question uh, is this, or the, the, the situation is this. He says, my wife and I have been married for 15 years. She's a traveling nurse. In the past several months, I've been growing so much closer to her. We both lost weight, and her love for the Lord has grown so much. I cannot help but be more attractive to her uh, or attracted to her. The intimacy is at an all-time high. And then he goes on to the question that I'm not going to answer. Now, the reason I wanted to do this at the beginning was uh, because this is what God can do. I can show you example after example after example, people who physically their relationships were kind of dead. Uh, He'd lost uh, attraction to her. She'd lost attraction to him. and And they sort of get used to having a marriage that isn't very sexually active. And yet here's what happens as you get closer to the Lord then he changes that. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, we get men who will say, well, my wife doesn't satisfy me or doesn't meet my needs. Uh, she'll say, well, my husband doesn't uh, uh, pay attention to my needs. We never talk, whatever it is. But when you're with the Lord and you're losing uh, the, 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 the things that are keeping you from the love of the Lord, then um, one of the things that's going to happen as you are in the Word together and as you're praying together, one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to find that attraction growing greater and greater and greater. I mean, Jesus is the best aphrodisiac in the whole world. And and I just I just can't get people to believe it. Well, no, I just have lost my sexual appetite. It just it doesn't seem important to us anymore. That is a marriage. It really doesn't honor the Lord. And so, Anonymous, the first thing I'd like to say to you is congratulations. This is what God wants to do. This is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And the Lord is smiling. You know, I do a lot of pre-marriage counseling, and I talk to people about our sexual relationship in the marriage. And it needs to be a passionate relationship. If it's not passionate, it's a picture that our relationship with Christ himself is losing passion. We're, we're, we're leaving our first love. Our relationship sexually needs to be pure. Um, no junk in it, no pornography in it, no untoward fantasy life in it. Just the marriage bed undefiled, Paul writes to the Hebrews. And thirdly, it needs to be selfless. A physical relationship is all and only about satisfying your partner. It's not about satisfying you. And as is the case with everything that we do for the Lord and to bring God glory, then we will be satisfied because that's what God does. And we need to be a servant in the bedroom as well. But let me say again, a marriage that is lacking physical passion is a marriage that is not honoring to the Lord. And it is a sign, uh, an ominous sign, that your relationship with Jesus has lost passion. And, and, and God wants to fix that. And this is a wonderful, wonderful report. Um, this is what happens. You just fall in love. Uh, I had a, a young woman, uh, after having a baby, she said to me one time, she said, well, I just don't have any desire anymore. And uh, I spent some time counseling them. And uh, I just told them, trust the Lord on this. And she came back with her husband and, and said, you know, uh, his, his report was, she won't keep her hands off of me. 
God will do that if you give him the opportunity. And so I congratulate you, Anonymous, on this. Uh, This is really, really good. The question that is inappropriate, uh, I'll I'll be happy to answer with you. Remember, just email questions at calvaryessay.com. Again, you have to disclose your name, just just, um, an indication where we can reply to you and uh, give you the information, uh, and I think you'll be pleased with the answer that I will give. Great question, great result. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question. This one is from um, Anonymous, of course. Um, This stuff kills me. Why are you and other believers obsessed with Paul and his writings? He's a false apostle. Well, you better be real careful before you say those things. Don't you find it interesting, and that's my insert, by the way, don't you find it interesting that his only witness is Jesus himself? The Bible makes clear that in order to fill the role of apostle, the candidate must have been with Christ throughout his ministry on earth, without exception. Revelation speaks of 12 foundations named after the 12 apostles, not 13. I don't get how Bible scholars, and that's in quotes, a pejorative, I don't get how Bible scholars can say Paul's words mean anything when really his authority, and then again, that pejorative quote, is based on take my word for it. All you need is what Jesus said, and that's it. This is an example of someone who has no understanding at all of what the Bible says, what it means, or how to traverse it. Now, first of all, the Apostle Paul, his witness is Jesus Christ. If you are concerned with what Jesus has to say, well, then listen to this. This is Acts chapter 9. The Lord, verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias. Now, Ananias is the one that Paul, uh, or was sent to Paul by Jesus directly in a vision. Um, this is my, my man. You go, go pray, lay hands on him and restore his sight. Here's what Jesus said. This is in red letters in your Bible. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, that's pretty authoritative, without quotes. That's Jesus himself. You said the only thing that matters is what Jesus said. Well, that's Jesus himself saying it. Regarding the idea that somebody must be, to fill the role of apostle, must have been with Jesus uh, the entire time of his ministry on earth and had an appearance, I will add that, of the Lord. Well, Paul certainly fulfilled the second part of it. Jesus appeared to him for a period of three years in the Arabian wilderness and taught him as he commissioned him for all the things that he must do. And the idea that he must have been with him the whole time, remember, that was when They were replacing Judas. They understood the Old Testament scriptures that his place must be fulfilled. And when they understood that, those were the qualifications were set down. And there was one man, two men actually, who fulfilled the the category, and the lot fell to, of course, Matthias. And so Matthias was added. Matthias was then the 12th apostle. Now, we don't have a lot of information about Matthias historically, but we know that he was used by God, and he was called to fulfill the role of Judas. But that is, at that moment, to replace Judas. That's not a requirement for being called an apostle. Now, something else I think is really important here. Get back to your question here. I'm sorry, I'm, my eyes aren't working very well. Well, 
when you talk about Revelation, speaking of 12 foundations, named after the 12 apostles, that's true. And I believe Matthias's name is going to be on one of those 12 lesser crowns. By the way, there's 12 more. Those are the patriarchs of the Old Testament. But we also remember that Jesus said, when John and James sent their mother to ask for the positions on Jesus' right and left, when you come to your kingdom, may my sons have the position on your left and on your right. Very special, privileged position. So we know there's two other lesser thrones. Well, I believe with all of my heart that the Bible tells us who those two lesser thrones are going to go to, the ones on Jesus' left and right, the ones that he said he couldn't give away because they've already been taken. In other words, my Father in Heaven has made that choice. I believe that David is one of those thrones. is Israel's prince, Ezekiel chapters 36 through 39. And I believe that other throne on the other side will be the Apostle Paul, the man that we use to a greater degree than any man who's ever walked the face of the earth to bring glory and honor to the Lord. Finally, let me say this. When I get emails like this, it amazes me that people who study the Bible so little, people that think they know something and don't really know anything at all, and then like the Apostle Paul warns Timothy, these people confidently affirm things that they don't know what they're talking about. We need to be careful of this. Can you imagine explaining to Jesus why you would call the Apostle Paul a false apostle? Now, let me tell you why people don't like the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul in his epistles, he keeps saying, don't do this and don't do that. To live a life seeking personal holiness. To walk in righteousness. They don't like that. Especially in this case, if somebody's saying, well, you know, the Apostle Paul uh, talks about homosexuality, but Jesus never did. Well, Jesus talked a lot about sexual morality. Well, when the Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Every single word that is written in his epistles, the same is true of James, the Lord's half-brother, the same is true of Peter, the same is true of the Apostle John, the other writers of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every word carries equal weight and authority because every word was written by the Holy Spirit. And you are on very, very shaky ground. And I'll just tell you point blank, you don't know what you're talking about. And it'd be better just to be quiet. Hope that makes sense to you. Hope it hits home in your heart. Here is a question. This one is from another anonymous. Um, what does Paul mean when he says to set our hearts and our minds on things above? Is there a difference between the two? Yeah, Anonymous, there is, and I think it's an important difference. I'm actually in the book of Colossians uh, right now on Friday nights. And um, when he says to set your hearts and minds, the heart is the place of affection. The mind is the place of decision. 
And what it's saying is this, so set the place of affection in your life on Jesus Christ, on things above. But but a lot of us, we want to follow God. We, we want to serve the Lord. But the reality is that our minds are so conflicted. Our flesh, there's always this battle. And so what Paul is saying is, make a decision of your mind to follow your heart. Make a choice every day to follow Jesus. And so that's what he means. Instead of earthly thinking, instead of worldly thinking, instead of worrying about what is satisfying or pleasing to you, instead, say, Lord, I want to please you. That's my heart. But I'm going to make that decision in my mind as well. So that's what he means, Anonymous, and and it's one of the most practical and important decisions that we can make. Again, my heart wants to serve Jesus every day. But my mind, just like yours, is a battleground. The enemy huffs and puffs. The enemy lies and tempts. And so what we've got to do is we've got to make a decision. One of the things I do every day when I wake up is I renew my decision to follow Jesus. I do it this way. I say, today of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. And I always said, in your name and for your glory. And then I recognize who I am. I say, I can't do that on my own. And this is the decision part. And I take my hand and offer it to the Lord. And I say, Lord, don't let me go. That's what it means to put heavenly things, the things that please the Lord, over and above anything that happens on this earth. And Anonymous, that will make your life so much richer, immeasurably richer, than you can possibly believe. 340-9585, if you have any questions or comments. Here is a question from Martin M. Martin says, uh, Pastor Ron, can you explain what the word lacking means in Colossians 1, 24. Uh, I know it doesn't mean that the work of Christ is insufficient, but I'm uncertain why Paul would say lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. And then he says, thank you for the radio show. Now, the, the says this, and I'm going to read it out of the, the NIV. Uh, he says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, what Paul is not saying, and you've understood this, Martin, uh, is that there was something lacking. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was done, it was complete. But the idea is very simply that, and by the way, I'm teaching this very passage tonight, 1 Corinthians, I'm closing, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 24, I'm closing the chapter in, in our Bible study tonight, so I'm going to be dealing with some of this stuff. But what he's talking about is the work of the church. Um, the church goes on. Paul, I said to an earlier caller, um, he was shown the many things that he must suffer. Paul wrote the letter to the church at Colossae from prison. So what he's saying is, look, as the work of Christ continues, Jesus is in heaven, but we're here on earth. You know, Jesus promised that in this world you would have tribulation. Jesus promised that um, that, that people would hate us, they would insult us. So uh, what Paul is saying, and he would later call this sharing in the fellowship of, of the sufferings of our Lord. 
what Paul is saying is, look, I'm suffering and I'm rejoicing in my suffering, but I'm doing this for the sake of the body that is still at work, even though Christ has moved on. So, Martin, that's what he means. And again, I'm going to go into a little bit more depth on that tonight. But that is our Bible study tonight. I think it's uh, Colossians 1, verses 24 through 29 tonight. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question. This one is from James. He says, um, Pastor Ron, with your series in the book of Acts coming to an end soon, do you know what book you will do next? And then he asks, how do you manage to prepare for three different books while staying ahead and not falling behind? James, I'm laughing because having been ill, I'm a little bit behind right now. And and I'm a really organized guy. I always work in advance. Uh, but but I got a little bit behind um, with with the 10 or so days that I was ill. And so I'm trying to catch up now is what I'm asking. Um, you know, I think we've probably got another month, maybe five uh, Sundays in the book of Acts before we will be done. This Sunday, of course, is a Christmas message. And then the following Sunday, I'm going to do a New Year's um, message because it's New Year's Eve, just because that's the way the calendar falls. Uh, and then I think we maybe have five more studies in the book of Acts. Um, and after that, we are going to go to First John. Um, I'm excited. I've taught the book of First John twice here at the church, but I've never taught it on a Sunday to the Sunday crowd. And it's, I think, really an important book in this particular uh, time that, that we live in in these last days. So uh, I will be going to the book of First John. It's a book with a lot of repetition. Repetition has great value. And so that's what I'm going to be doing. On normal situations, to answer your question, how do I manage to prepare uh, for three different books? And I do teach three different books each week. Um, uh, one Old Testament and two New Testament books. Um, I, I, I cheat a little bit, and by that I mean, uh, you know, I already have a, a commentary uh, written pretty much on the whole Bible. Um, um, I've, I've been doing this for 28 years, and, and so, uh, you know, I've got the notes. I've done all of the hard work. Um, in, in this particular moment, I'm doing Leviticus on Wednesday nights, and Leviticus I haven't done before, so this is taking more time than before. Uh, but uh, basically, I just need to stay uh, ahead of the game. I don't like pressure. I don't like falling behind. Uh, and so typically, I stay pretty far ahead. I try to work a couple of weeks ahead um, because things come up, and I don't want to fall behind. But uh, it's just it's just being organized, asking the Lord to bless the use of my time, and again, because I've done most of the hard work, um, I think I've only got three books that I don't have a written commentary on. And by the way, my notes are all available for free online. If you go to calvaryessay.com, um, you can look at that, those commentaries. It's free, and if you think there's any value in it at all, they are available. Um, but it's one of the things that I, I, I'm, I'm very keen on making sure that I spend the time. I don't typically take time off. Um, like, you know, on Christmas, I won't be here. But but New Year's Eve, I'll be here. And, and um, you know, I just, just try to stay ahead. I think it's uh, about organizing your time. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Let's see if i got time for one more 
question here uh, in this half of the program. Um, this is anonymous. Can you give more detail into what it means that we will be ruling with Jesus? Actually, I can't. You know why? Because the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information. Now, I can tell you this. We will be ruling with the Lord in our glorified physical resurrected bodies. Um, we don't know exactly what that means other than our bodies will be like his resurrected body. Uh, he will have scars. We won't. But other than that, our bodies will be the same. Uh, that means we'll have supernatural abilities. Uh, and and uh, all we're told is that we're ruling reign with them. And because we're not given really any information at all regarding um, what that what the detail is or or what kind of service it is uh, all I know for sure is that 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 we will be God's instruments of justice um, we will judge fallen angels we know that's some point when we're ruling and reigning with Jesus uh, before the great white throne judgment um, I imagine that we will have assignments. I, I tease the church here saying, you know, I'll probably get San Antonio. But whatever it means, we'll be ruling and reigning with Jesus uh, and we'll be taking orders. Um, we, we won't rebel against the Lord. We won't be lazy. Uh, serving will be an absolute joy and a delight. And whatever it means to rule and reign with Jesus, we will do that. And what a great honor that really is going to be, imagine, living in a thousand-year period of time where justice will be swift, it will be perfect, it will be unconditionally loving, and everybody will know that here's the standard. If you violate that standard, then you're going to be judged. So that's the best we can do. The Bible is quiet on some of those things. We've got 30 minutes left in the week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from JT. He says... Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. I have a question regarding uh, the book of Leviticus, particularly involving the eating of animals. Somebody told me that eating pork is against the Bible. Is that something that is true or something that was from the Old Testament? Also, I was told about eating animals from the seed, or from the sea, like shrimp and lobster and so on. Um, are those things bad to eat? It and he says, yes, this is your JT. Love you and Mama Paula. JT, thank you. It's good to hear from you. Um, JT, uh, the, the prohibitions, the, the, the kosher restrictions were given to the people of Israel. Now, we had a seismic shift when Peter was at the house of Cornelius, or Simon the Tanner, rather, before going to Cornelius, the first Gentile convert. I had a vision, and, and the Lord was... 
uh, a sheet was descending over the earth uh, and and it had all kind of unclean food in it and and the voice said, "Rise, Peter, kill and eat no lord i 've not had anything unclean i 've always eaten kosher is what he was saying, and the lord said don 't call anything unclean that i 've made clean and we hear later that in saying this, Jesus declared all food clean, so we live in a glorious time j t where we can enjoy things. I always think of 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 the the jews can imagine can you imagine the first bacon sandwich that Peter ever would have eaten? Praise the Lord, I mean think about that uh lobster um my favorite non pancake food on earth is lobster. So all of those things are clean, and we don't have to worry about them anymore. The diet that was given to Israel was given for a specific reason. First, to set them apart from the people around them. Secondly, to ensure that they would be healthy, that they wouldn't get the diseases that the people around them got. Remember, there was no refrigeration in the ancient world. Um, um, food poisoning, uh, and, and, and that's a mild term for what would have happened, was common in that day and age. And so God was setting them apart and correcting them. But J.D., enjoy. And there are people who say, yeah, we shouldn't eat pork. We shouldn't do these things. Um, if that's their conviction, tell them, enjoy it. But as for me, I'm going to eat whatever it is I want to eat, and I'm going to do it in faith. Let's go to Lynette on line one from Texas. Lynette, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, I just had a question. I I had someone recently um, tell me about um, or mention uh, the Ethiopian Bible, and um, I had never even heard of it. And Mm -hmm. the person was telling me that, like, it. You know, everything from, like, the King James Version came from this Bible, and um, but it's more, and it's older, and there's a lot of things in the King James Version that's not true. And um, I just wanted to know if you knew anything about the Ethiopian Bible or what your take is on it. Yeah, I can, I can answer that, Lynette. The Ethiopian Bible, I can tell you, was not written by God. Uh, it has nothing to do at all uh, with the King James Bible. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of um, Bible pretenders out there. Uh, even even in our modern day, those are Bibles that are are paraphrases um, rather than being translations. Um, what we have is the Word of God. Now, if somebody says, "Well, I like the Ethiopian Bible," well, there's a lot of things that you can like, but but anything that is in conflict or in contradiction, Lynette, to the Bible that you have in your hand. It doesn't make it true that because it's older, it's better. Uh, the Ethiopians, of course, uh, from Candace, uh, the, 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 the queen of Ethiopia, remember in, Acts, in the book of Acts, we've got the, the Ethiopian eunuch who, who was saved under the ministry of Philip the Evangelist. Um, we know historically that he goes back to um, Ethiopia, Candace gets saved, and the church is established there. And, and, and interestingly, the Ethiopian church is the longest continuous running church without interruption in the history of the world. So it's interesting, you know, sometimes we'll get get African Americans who'll say, well, you know, the, 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 the Bible's for white people. No, the Ethiopians are where the church really has been going the longest. 
Um, and, and the Bible that they would have had, um, they would have had uh, at that early point, they would have received the same Bible that you and I have. And they would have received it, of course, in the form of letters. They had the, the Old Testament, the Greek Septuagint, was probably the most widely used Old Testament manuscript. Uh, but the the Bible that they would have had uh, would have been the information that they received, uh, just like the rest of the church throughout the history of the world has. And, and once the canon of Scripture was formalized, uh, those are the Bibles. There's a lot of good translations of the Bible, but uh, you can, I promise you, Lynette, you can depend on your King James Bible. And what I would do when somebody would say something like that to me, I would challenge them for evidence. I would challenge them for evidence. Now, Lynette, if you really like to 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 read and study um, the, the veracity of our Bible, let me recommend a couple of things. Depending on how in-depth you want to go, the, 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 the best um, recommendation I have for you, uh, actually I'll give you two of them, is a book called The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. There's an entire section there that deals with the canon of Scripture and how we got about it, the challenges to Scripture, and how the canon was preserved. It is a very scholarly read, and, um, um, you know, it's going to take some real digging. Uh, There's another one uh, called The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? by F.F. Bruce, and that's an excellent um, primer for um, the veracity of our Bible. There's another one, the, a couple of them that are um, less detailed, but but also I think complete, a little bit easier to read depending on the time that you have. One is called uh, The Case for the Bible by Lee Strobel, S-T-R-O-B-E-L. And then another one uh, that I, I came across in Bible college, I just love it, it says, uh, there's two little paperbacks, Know What You Believe and Know Why You Believe by Paul Little, L-Y-T-T-L-E. Uh, and they're, they're just wonderful sources of information. Um, one other one that's really good, um, um, New Testament History by F.F. F. Bruce, and, and we get some, some detail about the canon of Scripture in that as well. But the Ethiopian Bible they would have had the same Bible that you and I have. In the first century church, especially as the letters would circulate uh, throughout the world, um, God didn't forget them. And they've been serving the Lord, uh, the longest continuous running Christian church in the history of our world. Thank you, Lynette. Appreciate it. Let's go to Cindy on line two. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? Doing better. Thank you. You sound much better. I'm glad you had a good nurse, Paula, to take care of you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm calling because Wednesday night, Pastor Peter Paley did our Wednesday night Old Testament study, and it, it was phenomenal. It was uh, Psalm 22, 23, and 24, mm-hmm. how they all intertwined with each other. And anybody that hasn't heard that, I'd really recommend you to listen to that study because there's so much in there. It, it mm-hmm. was amazing. The one thing that really stood out to me was when he talked about when Jesus was completely separated for three hours from the Father. And and then he he kind of described parts of what, what hell would be like. And it was so riveting, you know, to, to think about how, how horrible it's going to be. 
I was wondering also, mainly my question is that you think about all the sins of the world. You know, we, we say, well, Jesus died for my sins, and, and we think about our own sins. But you multiply that to the entire humanity, that Jesus died for the sins, like the people in the Old Testament that he knew would never, ever believe in God. He died for their sins, our sins, and then the future sins, which I think are going to get pretty crazy. So all of that sin was put on him. Am I correct on that? Yes, you are correct. And things okay. seem to be the way to, the way to put that. And by the way, Dr. Peter is a wonderful Bible teacher. Um, uh, I, I recommend hardly uh, going to our website, calvarysa.com, and um, his study from last Wednesday is on our, our website. Um, I, I think one of the things that we need to, to think about in terms of Jesus' death, his death was efficacious for everybody who's ever lived. It's only effective, of course, for those who receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's a gift that he gives. We've got to receive that gift and possess it as our own. And then all of our sins are forgiven and forgotten. We are, you know, think sometimes we think Jesus took our sins upon him, and he did that. But it was more than that. And this is the reason the Father had to forsake him. Because Jesus became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that we might become the righteousness or the perfection of God. And so when he became sin, actually all the horrible things that we've ever done, he became that. And that's why the wrath of God had to be poured out. The, the, the price of our peace, the punishment for our peace was placed upon him, Isaiah 53 says. And so that's the, the penal substitutionary atonement. Jesus took our place on the cross. We deserved to die, and he didn't. So his death, all of our sins, past, present, future, forgiven and forgotten. And yet we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So thank you very, very much. Cindy, appreciate the question. Here's a question from Mike. He said, in yesterday's episode... You said that you aren't getting this new building because of your faith, but because of God's faithfulness. I thought gave, gave, God gave this building to you because of your faith. Can you elaborate, please? You know, Mike, I, I can. I, I don't. This is hard to to articulate. Um, but but we have a, um, especially in the West, we have a sense of well, if I do this, God has to do this, and we forget that our Bible says Paul writing Timothy that when he is when when we are faithless, he is faithful. This was always God's plan. You know, the times I wish he'd have sped the plan up a little bit, but, but except for that, this was always God's plan. All we had to do, Mike, is walk with Jesus, be obedient to what he's called us to do, and then we couldn't miss this building. So the idea is God's a rewarder, but the reward is all initiated by him. It's not like he looked and said, you know, boy, that Pastor Ron, he's been so faithful that I'm just going to bless him. Um, You know, when you're with Jesus, you're going to get blessed. But the reality is that this was God's heart. It's what he wanted to do. God will do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. You know, we've been praying for building for 28 years. And, And God's 
kept us here. Now I can look back and see the wisdom. I can understand the, the need for humility. But the reality is we could have disqualified ourselves by a lack of faith. But the truth of the matter is this building has nothing to do with me or Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. This building has everything to do with the faithfulness of God and his plan for our lives. So I think that's the important thing. We need to get out of the mindset that, well, God did this because I'm special. And the answer really is we're not special at all. Walking with Jesus allows us to participate in everything that God has. And I think one of the things, Mike, we all need to do is understand our, and I I, I make up words here, understand our smallness and God's bigness. If God needed me to be faithful to give us a building, truth is we probably never would have had a building. But this was his plan. All we had to do was walk with Jesus, and we're going to get to that place. So, um, again, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with us. But what, what I get to do is participate in this wonderful work that God allows me to be a part of. I am so privileged. I'm so blessed. You know, when I was first saved, Mike, I, I had the thought, you know, people would say, well, well, and Paula used to write this in her journal. She'd say, Ron has so much potential. If, if, he, can't, if he got saved, you could use him to change the world and those kind of things. Um, God would just kind of chuckle at that. God doesn't need me to change the world. God wanted to use me. And Mike, the one thing that really keeps me going with regard to this building, and believe me, there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, not only is there a lot of work to be done, but we still have a lot of need. So um, the one thing I'll do, I know, when I walk in that building for the very first time and we're getting ready to, to actually have a service in that building, I'm going to fall apart. I'm going to be face-to-face. I'm crying now. I'm going to be face-to-face with the goodness and the bigness of God, a God who keeps his promises. And all understand that this is from him. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Every good and perfect gift from above. And I think if we understood this one thing, Mike, we would all walk in the fullness of God's blessings in our lives. And I think humility demands that we understand I had nothing to do with it. Now, I could have, again, disqualified myself. I could have said, well, it just seems like it's too big. You know, we've never had money. But at the same time, I can look at God and say, God, when I messed up, you were there. You were faithful. So, I really have nothing to do with it. I do my job. My job is to teach the Bible. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, that's what we do. And if I do my part, then God does his part. He's the one responsible for bringing people. He's the one responsible for the wonderful people. When Cindy called a moment ago and she said, uh, talk about what a great teacher Dr. Peter is. Dr. Peter, of course, is is, uh, our physician. He and his wife, Sheba, Dr. Sheba. Uh, over at Malta Medical, um, and and he's he's a wonderful Bible teacher, and I've been able to watch that whole thing. Um, it wasn't my faith that made Malta Medical. It wasn't my faith that made a free school. 
or we'll make unusual kindness or a free Bible college. It was the plan of God all along. And that was the heart of God. The minute we start thinking we have anything to do with it, then we're getting into pretty dangerous territory. Good question. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Natalie says, is it okay for a devoted single woman to adopt kids from foster care? Natalie, I think not only is it okay, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe you're running into people say, because you're single, you shouldn't adopt kids from foster care. Believe me, we've had several uh, families in our church adopting kids out of foster care, and their lives have been enriched immeasurably. And, and let me look at it from the other perspective. We've got kids in those families whose lives were completely changed, completely transformed, because there was a committed Christian couple or Christian woman who said, um, you know, I, I want to help. And God gave them that burden, and they answered the call, and boy, has God ever immeasurably blessed those kids' lives. And I get to stand and watch it all happen. So yes, go for it, and God bless you for wanting to do it. Uh, I would also add to everybody, we had um, one of our families, uh, uh, Wanda Croft, and and, and, uh, uh, the the foster organization that she uh, is connected to, I had them on the radio show just a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, maybe now. And um, everybody... Both ends. Everybody gets blessed for sure. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Robert. He says, "Are we really in the end times, and how can we know for sure?" Um, biblically, Robert, we're in the last days. We know the last days um, are that 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 time from Jesus' ascension into heaven until his return that you can read about in Revelation chapter 19. So we know for sure we're in the end times. Now, the urgency is what I think your question is dealing with. And how can we know? All we need to do is look around. Paul says in the end uh, there will be perilous times. And then he describes this is 2 Timothy chapter 3 beginning in verse 1, um, he describes the kind of of world that we'll live in. Uh, Jesus said it'll be like Noah before the flood, when every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. We live in that time, Robert. We live in that time. We're seeing a complete rebellion against all things God. We're seeing Israel reemerge as a central player in the end-time scenario, we're seeing the rise of Jewish hatred. Anti-Semitism is too nice a word. Jewish hatred, even in a country where we're supposed to be Israel's ally. We're seeing terrorism applauded and placated instead of recognizing evil for evil. We're seeing the destruction of the family. I say this often, Robert, but we've murdered nearly 65 million babies in this country on the altar of sexual pleasure. 
Those are the evil times that Paul is warning about. We're seeing a turning away from the Word of God, even among many professing Christian churches. We're seeing the Bible under attack, as at no time before in the history of the United States. Now, the end-time scenario doesn't revolve around the United States. I want everybody to be clear about that. But we need only to look at the sinfulness, the utter sinfulness of the world that we live in, the lying spirit. We no longer even believe obvious things, things that have been accepted at face value forever. A a man is a man, a girl is a girl. And people defend it. So Robert, that's how we know we're in the end times and Jesus is coming soon. We can feel the heat from the enemy ratcheting up. Bible says he knows his time is short and he's angry. So all we have to do is look around us. Jesus talked about being aware of the signs around us. And we are in the time where all of those signs are right there. Robert, I believe that Jesus is coming very, very soon. We don't know when that is. The idea of soon is better described as suddenness. And the rapture of the church will be the very next thing on the prophetic calendar. And the rapture of the church will then kick off what we know is the Great Tribulation. And once again, Israel is being surrounded. I don't know if anybody caught it, but yesterday, the United States joined the United Nations resolution to force Israel into an extended period of peace. Imagine being attacked by people who have vowed to wipe you off the face of the earth. Babies being killed, cooked, literally. Babies ripped out of pregnant mothers' wombs. Women brutally abused and raped. And we're supposed to make peace with them. That's what the world is trying to pressure Israel to do. It makes no sense. And Israel is surrounded on all sides. Look to the north of Israel. Because those people are coming after Israel and God is about to move. So, Robert, we truly are in the end times. And it's more important than ever that we are about our Father's business and His business is sharing the gospel of peace through Jesus Christ. So, Robert, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Reminder, we will not be live on Monday. That's Christmas Day. Have a wonderful Christmas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And remember, in all of the busyness, it's all and only about Jesus. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.